Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're <laughs> listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Tim Burrows. Joining me to break down your week in media and marketing is Mumbrella's senior media reporter, Hannah Blackiston. Hello. And our reporter, Brittany Rigby. Hello. And coming up later, Hannah talks to Foxtel Media's chief sales officer, David Roddick, and advanced advertising director, Nev Hassan, about why MCN rebranded. It was more about kind of reflecting what we actually do. So it's, it's the name does what it says on the tin. A new 12-second cue breaks. I think it's a sneaky way of getting people to actually lean forward. Um, and, you know, it's nice that it's a quick break. And whether KO will cannibalise Foxtel service. Uh, the vast majority uh, of KO subscribers have not and never would subscribe to Foxtel. But first, the week's topics. Why Nine is feeling chilly towards Facebook. Should marketers rely less consumer insights will the afl grand final be a ratings bonanza for seven and old mate is back in town so first up well before we get into the saga of the platforms let's just deal with the fact that i'm not sure my voice is going to make it through the whole <laughs> of the podcast so um if it doesn't i'm i'm sure you can step up in my we'll, place we'll carry Anna, you through or Brittany, thank you yes you carry me like you always do <laughs> So let's return to that ongoing saga of the platforms versus the publishers. Tuesday saw News Media Works Inform Summit in Sydney. Now, I moderated a panel between representatives from Nine, News Corp, Facebook and Google, the theme being partnerships, although I think that word sort of implies harmony and niceness that wasn't necessarily on the stage for the whole time there was a at times a slight tone of grumpiness um now hannah um i think you'd have been in the room for most of the day uh nine's lizzie young went hardest i think particularly after facebook um she's not really a fan of uh, facebook watch and that particular experiment is she no so that comes off the back of the recent partnership between uh facebook and i believe it was seven publishers they um, signed an agreement which would see them kind of do different versions of unique news content for Facebook's Facebook Watch tab. So this which is, is their video. Yeah, thing. kind of their video arm, I guess. And this is um, something they tried in the US and presumably had some success with and then tried to roll out here. So nine, seven, and possibly ten are doing daily news shows, whereas some of the other publishers, so Junkie, Sky News, um, and Pedestrian are doing kind of a weekly show. I think Junkies is daily. Is it daily? It did yeah. only just start. Everybody yeah. else has started a lot earlier. Yeah, it's yeah. just started, but I think it's being sold as a daily one. Right. So it's interesting. So Lizzie on stage um, said that they're only getting a watch time of 20 seconds on their daily news program which is fronted by sylvia jeffries obviously pretty good nine talent um and she said it's not really worth the output of effort that they put in um so when i heard those comments i did a bit of a ring around to everybody else just to kind of see what the vibe was and i got really mixed feedback um seven are pretty happy with how it's going 10 wouldn't say anything on the record Junkie have obviously only just started, but they said so far they've had really good results. Um, so it's kind of interesting that she was so happy to put on the record that they're really struggling when everybody else kind of isn't as concrete as her. And look, and I, I suppose where 
you know, it's a question I asked on stage. Where, where I wonder a bit is clearly you take part in some of these experiments and they don't work. I think I'd usually rather be, if I was a publisher, rather be invited to take part in the experiment rather than not. But I, I, I got the sense that there was a degree of unhappiness, certainly from nine about, about how it had gone, but potentially also their wider relationship with Facebook. Yeah. What really struck me was she said, um, after that, she said that they wouldn't be looking to do any experiments with Facebook in the future or in the near future. Facebook has obviously just signed another deal with 11 publishers this time for part of their news initiative. And she said that nine aren't taking part in that. So yeah, you definitely got the vibe that maybe it's easy to say we're only getting 20 second views on Facebook watch, but that is just the, a very small glimmer into what's actually quite a fractured um, conversation. And of course, all this comes off the back of all the ACCC digital platform inquiry stuff as well, which has seen publishers not very happy with Facebook at all. Yeah, when Hannah came back from the event and told me how the panel had gone, I wasn't there, but I, I did chat to her about it. I was really interested in the fact that Nine had taken this approach and also really respected it because I think all of the publishers across the board have said how important the ACCC report is, how much they need the ACCC's help in dealing with Facebook, how unbalanced the relationship is and the power dynamic. So I think that it's it's hard then to see them try to kind of have it both ways and also be really nice to Facebook. And yeah, I think it's you know, gutsy, but also respectful and transparent in a way to be like, yeah, this isn't working for us. Um, I think everyone kind of knows that they, they have to do it to a degree because that's where people are and it's the sort of unfortunate reality for publishers. But to say, we don't like Facebook, we don't like this is how, how this is going, we're not going to do it again and kind of stuff you. And look, I think what was interesting is people, sometimes you get a little bit too much politeness on panels. Mm. It's not that they were rude to each other, but mm. people spoke their minds and I also felt a bit for Andrew Hunter from Facebook and Kate Beddow from Google, just from the fact that, by, you know, when you're speaking to an audience of publishers, which is effectively what the, the Inform conference was, you're a little bit in the lion's den as well, yes. aren't you? So, so I think just to, just to go on stage in that environment is probably a little bit daunting. Yeah, and Andrew Hunter, I think, does always deal with that sort of thing really well. And he dealt with it well on stage. You know, he said, like, we've had conversations with you. We've made ourselves very open to have those conversations and we're happy to have them going forward. But I do think, I mean, at the moment, it's just such a fractured kind of situation and the relationships are so frayed that it just feels like in these experiments the second even the tiniest amount of something goes wrong there's so much behind it that that's going to get wildly blown out of proportion and i suppose the other thing as well is when you when you look at these sort of spokespeople for the platforms you know they're they're they're, they're very good at who they hire they hire people who are well thought of in the industry who are nice erudite people who are going to speak well and be the cuddly face of the organization um and then of course it is a complicated relationship where you know i, I don't think to say everything's all positive or all negative in the ledger there are a lot of a lot of different issues at play 
And Brittany, the, the thing is, it goes beyond publishing, goes to television as well. So, yeah, this week, Bridget Fair and Ross Mitchell from Free TV wrote an op-ed for us in addition to their submission about the ACCC report. And they blatantly said that Google and Facebook, the way, the way that they've responded to both the report itself and then publishers' response to the report is dangerous. That's the word they used. They said that they're pretending like everything's going to be fine and that both the ACCC and publishers are saying what they're saying because they simply don't get it. They don't get the business model. They don't understand our business properly. They don't understand the vision that we have. They don't understand how much we're actually helping publishers. And free TV are kind of like, no, we get it. We're not dumb. Um, the ACCC gets it and we need to act. So I think that, yeah, this week there's been a, a few people call out very blatantly what they think of Facebook and Google. And I think that regardless of whether or not you agree or not or how, how far one way or the other you lean, those are the sorts of conversations that we have to keep having, I think, because people can't be bickering about Facebook behind closed doors but then not actually talking to Facebook about what their the issues facing their businesses are. Um, and similarly, if we just say Facebook is shit but don't engage with them, then that's not going to get very far. So I think, yeah, I was, I was impressed by what the panel – um, on Tuesday sounded like based off of what you and Hannah have both said in that, you know, we need to ha- be able to have those difficult but important conversations with each other on both sides, publishers and Facebook and Google. And just on the subject, Lizzie, I just have a mad conspiracy theory for you as Ooh, well. I love that. Which is I sort of thought of when I was introducing Lizzie and she's worked for GCAP Media in the UK, which is one of owned Capital Radio, amongst other things one of the big radio players, also Southern Cross or Stereo. I was then thinking, well, Nine have got their takeover coming up at Macquarie Ooh. Media. There is speculation that Adam Lang might move on. Hugh Marks does like to appoint people, he or boss of Nine, likes to appoint people that he already knows to run things who he trusts. So I did find myself wondering as I, intru- as I was introducing her, maybe I'm introducing the next boss of Macquarie Media. Just, just theory but uh <laughs> but we'll see to have on the record next are marketers putting too much faith in consumer insights so sticking with the inform conference thinkerbell's adam ferrier argued earlier in the day that marketers can rely too strongly on consumer insights and not enough on branding. Now, Adam Ferry argued that the the risk is that a brand is sacrificed if consumer insights are relied on too heavily. Uh, He talked about his client Vegemite arguing that uh, if that had to undergo sensory testing and focus groups, it wouldn't even exist. Um, Hannah, did Adam convince you? It's interesting. I'm not, I mean, I'm not sure I'm completely convinced, but I did understand what he was saying because both he and Tribal's new head of strategy, Caitlin Lloyd, said the issue with consumer insights is consumers don't always know what they want. So you can waste a lot of time trying to f- kind of dig to the heart of what a consumer wants and they'll give you stuff that they think that they want, but it's not necessarily what they want. Caitlin used a really good example of, um, she used to work in entertainment and she said, you know, you ask people what they watch and they'll say, oh, we watch all these documentaries and we watch this, that and the other. And actually, if you were to look at their viewing, it's like reruns of The Simpsons and stuff because you 
you don't portray, you don't put forward into the world what you actually are. You put forward what you think you are. Um, it's interesting using the example of Vegemite. I think that maybe we kind of got a bit of blowback on this article from commenters because Vegemite maybe wasn't the best example to use, um, especially as an older brand and as a brand that kind of just came off the back of Marmite really. But yeah, I do, I do see what Adam was saying and he was saying marketers nowadays are spending too much time thinking about consumers and not enough time thinking about having a brand that's so strong that people think about that. Um, and it was actually backed up by what Mark Ritten's Mark Ritson said later on in the day where he said brands are being too fancy and brands just need to go back to being instantly recognizable, being instantly thought of, and that should be your whole thing. It kind of challenges the whole premise of what we've always been told about how to set up a good business, right, is that you see a gap in the market and you see demand and you meet that demand and fill the gap. If the demand isn't there because people don't know that that's a demand that they could have, then it's a much riskier proposition, right, to try and think of something that people might want, but you have no idea if they actually do want it or not, and you don't know until they have it and they respond to it. I think that it's not as simple as saying consumer insights are overrated, because I think in some situations, sure, that's the case, technology, we we couldn't imagine, you know, 10 years ago, the type of technology we have now. And if you asked us 10 years ago, if we'd use some of the stuff that is embedded into our lives now, we'd probably be unsure because we couldn't imagine it as part of our lives. And I think that that's only going to continue. And the more and more you see technology and you're like, wow, I I didn't know I needed this until I've just (laughs) used it or experienced it. So I think in the realm of that, for sure, Um, But I couldn't help but think, and it's a silly example when reading this piece, that um, those two ridiculous men in their late 20s who set up that sushi pizza restaurant and then had a cry when they spent a bunch of money on equipment and said they couldn't afford their staff and that that's why their business wasn't successful – And everyone was just like, no, you're just dumb idiots who created a sushi pizza restaurant and no one wants sushi pizza. So I think in that case, no one wants sushi pizza. That's obvious. Um, So yeah, I I think basically it's, it's an interesting way to look at things, but I don't think it's as easy as saying it's overrated. Look, I suppose there's a difference between asking the consumers to come up with the concept, testing the concept, you know, the I must have seen this on many a slide at conferences, the Henry Ford quote. I was about to say that, yeah. <laughs> Go on, you do it, Hannah. Well, it, I think it got brought up about five times at conference as well. It's the Henry Ford quote where if you asked him what he wanted, he would have said a faster horse instead of a Ford. Mm. So, yeah. And, and, and I think Adam's other point, which I've, I've seen him make at other conferences, is he's a bit of a sceptic about human-centred design generally in the – most products in a particular category, if they go off and do their research around human-centered design, will come up with the same answer, which is why brand logos end up looking so similar and cereal boxes start looking so similar and all of those things. So so I think that, that I think, is where, where certainly I think Adam has previously won me over is there are limits to what human-centered design can do. And I mean, Adam's a psychologist, so he knows more about this than I do and probably the three of us do in terms of figuring out 
how people are thinking about this and how they're approaching it and how they'd respond to stuff. Um, so I guess in that sense, I'm like, oh, maybe I'm totally wrong and you just know more than I do and I don't know it. <laughs> I think um, the other really interesting thing to come out of that panel, Caitlin Lloyd again, very uh, boldly called out the industry in Australia for creating really boring ads. She said at the moment out of the ads that are live, she called out um, the MLA for their fairly controversial campaigns over the years. Um, she also said she quite liked the Vegemite versus Marmite battle. And she said other than that, a lot of the advertising coming out of the industry at the moment is really boring. And she's said that perhaps people have gotten to a point where they're so worried about offending people, they're not taking a chance on anything. She did bring up the, a very good Marmite advert, which I then looked up from 2013, where it's end Marmite neglect and it's people breaking into homes and taking jars of Marmite from the back of the cupboard and putting them in. They put them in like little boxes like you would do with a pet and take them out to a van and then give them to a home where people would love them. And apparently when it first ran, it was a very controversial campaign. This was in the UK. This was in the UK, yeah. So she was saying we need more like that. We need more like, you know, the MLA boat people ad. We need more like the kind of – it doesn't necessarily have to elicit an emotional – an upsetting emotional response. It can be humor. It can be anything, but she was saying everything is so dull nowadays. And especially when you look at it in the frame of people are consuming stuff online, especially on Twitter and on Facebook, which is very confronting and we're not getting the censored watered down stuff. We maybe were a couple of years ago. And so to cut through that noise, instead of being worried about offending everybody, marketers actually need to go the other way and start hitting a lot harder, which I thought was an interesting point. Next, the masked singer lands with a bang for 10. So 10's weird and wonderful Australian version of The Masked Singer, a show which was born in Korea before spreading to other markets and eventually here to Australia, and sees 12 celebrities competing in a singing contest in masked costumes, had a great launch. It premiered this week with 1.162 million Metro viewers and then pulled in more than a million for the second episode as well. Hannah, those are, particularly for 10, those are big numbers. Those are massive numbers for 10. That's 10's, uh, I think they were saying that's their biggest kind of premiere for a format since 2015 when I'm a celeb started. So really good numbers for 10. We were um, sitting in the office as well, first first trying to guess what it would premiere to, but then trying to guess how it would do on the second night because, mm. you know, they had been promoing this so hard. You could not escape the fact this show was on. It's been absolutely everywhere. And so we were like, well, you know, the first episode is going to get all those people who are like, I don't really understand what this is, what's going on watching it. Are you then going to lose a really large percentage of those for the second episode? But then the second episode broke a mill too, and that was quite impressive. But I think what's interesting with The Masked Singer is you've got 12 celebrities. We've already lost two. Every night's going to be a reveal, so it's a very short six-week run. I think 10 have been very smart with that because if you look at any reality show, the reveal episodes or the elimination episodes or whatever they are are always the biggest episodes. So I think 10's kind of generated this like elimination, elimination, elimination I do wonder though if six, I just, I don't know. There's like this nagging thing in the back of my mind that says, can it make it through? Or are we going to see it bow out to like 500,000 viewers or something? Particularly as 
if you even glance at social media, most <laughs> mo- most people have pretty much been identified already, haven't they? They have. And also um, a lot of the backlash, well, pre-launch backlash was how big are the celebrities they're going to get. Mm. So if you look at Ryan Reynolds, the actor, took part in the Korean version. Last year's US version was won by rapper T-Pain. Like these are big celebrities and we've had – so far, I mean, spoiler alert if anyone hasn't watched, but so far this year, we've, um, this season, we've had Gretel Colleen and Brett Lee, who, you know, they're all right Australian celebrities, but they're maybe not Ryan Reynolds. So you do wonder whether if the reveals keep, you know, if next we get somebody from Neighbours and then we get like an ex batchy contestant, are people going to get tired? I just love Lindsay <laughs> trying to think of someone else on her list that could possibly squeeze into the clues. I said during Tuesday night's episode that she'd guessed Bindi Irwin, she's guessed Keith Urban, 100% she's going to guess Russell Crowe. So do you and think sure those enough, are, And do you think those are all the Australians that Lindsay Lohan has heard of? No, well, those are all the Australians she's, she's been handed. She's, she's, she says she's done her research, uh, but you could tell when, uh, and a spoiler alert again, if you skipped over Hannah's previous spoiler alert, that uh, when Brett Lee was revealed, <laughs> Osha was very clearly like, and this is, you know, one of Australia's fastest ever bowlers, international cricket star. And I was just like, there's no way she's going to know who Brett Lee is. Honestly, but- though, this is her best acting experience ever. <laughs> like watching her sit there and pretend to think through the clues and then be like, oh, Keith it's Urban. definitely <laughs> Keith Urban, who she definitely knows nothing about. It's incredible. To be honest, she's trying harder than Dave Hughes. Oh, though. she is. Dave Hughes is just like naming people who are dead. Dave and, like- Hughes, I think, thinks he can pull it off because he's the comedian. But he, he chucked out uh, Guy Pierce for a singer that was very clearly female. So he's he's just chucking names left, right and centre. One very interesting point I would like to make is they have gone on record to say that the audience was removed. So mm. it's filmed in front of a live audience. They've gone on record to say that the audience is removed before the reveals, which is the only way they've stopped spoilers getting out there. Because we were wondering about that. You've always got someone who'll go to the Daily Mail. But I did watch... Tuesday night's episode back after that and they have definitely cut in photos or video of the audience being like oh my gosh when the reveal happened so I do wonder if that was just some poor runner on stage being like okay now pretend that Russell Crowe's on stage in front of you how would you react to that how would you react to Kanye West (laughs) (laughs) I just I do hope it goes the distance but I'm not sure I'm obsessed though like the US one comes out today I think um I, I would really love for there to be a Ryan Reynolds-level superstar underneath one of those masks. But I think that collectively in the office, we've kind of, through social media clues and some Google digging, figured most of them out. Well, there are other things going on in TV as well, including Gruen, Hannah. Yeah, Gruen is back, uh, premiered this week on Wednesday. It's returned for its 11th season, which I don't, I've got to admit, I didn't know it had been running for that long. Yes. Now I remember back in the day when I was the editor of B&T, Andrew Denton came and had a coffee and sort of talked through what he had in mind. Well, he did actually, no, in fact, he did talk through what he had in mind. He asked lots of questions about <laughs> Adland and how it worked. And I, afterwards I went away with not the slightest picture of what the show might be like. Mm. Um, and it being a real surprise when it then came out a few months later, because obviously it was a format that really worked well, but he didn't really give any clues what he was thinking at the time. 
Yeah, and it's interesting. So it's launched for the 11th season with uh, 754,000 Metro viewers, which is actually a 20,000 jump from last year, but a pretty big drop from 2017 when it premiered with 900,000. Now, question without notice. There's been some uh, commentary that actually there was a problem with the broadcast, mm. that the, the audio was slightly out of sync and they apologised afterwards. Do you think that might have led to a slight drop-off of annoyed viewers just... I'm not, not sure, but we it. have done a very informal office poll and uh, one of the team, Zoe, who is sitting here with headphones on but no mic, did watch it on free-to-air and had no audio problems. Viv was watching it live but not on free-to-air. She was watching it on iView, no audio problems. So I'm not sure how big the issue was, but of course, you're right, anytime there is any technical issues, people don't really stick to it. So that could have seen a bit of a drop, but still, even if... Even if it was a bit of a drop, 750 is great, especially for the ABC. Um, and it was up against, you know, the block was on. It was like, it's not like there was nothing else on TV. So it's quite interesting to me. I think that the mainstream public is interested in this type of format, especially after 11 seasons. I was listening to Russell Howcroft's episode on Will Anderson's podcast, Philosophy. This yes, week. I heard that too. Yeah. And something that Russell mentioned in passing that I was really shocked by was that of the top five ABC episodes ever, Gruen is three of them. The other two, I think, were Kath and Kim and a Chaser episode. So the fact that it's still running after 11 seasons and still pulling really strong numbers is a testament to a format that hypothetically you're like, oh, do people care? Like, I don't know. It so, was yeah, a good philosophy great. episode, wasn't it? Was, it was. It was really good. I enjoyed it. I thought it interesting, you know, Russell sort of saying the other reason he was motivated to take part in the first place was just to, den- he was running an agency at the time, just to deny one of his rivals yes. the opportunity <laughs> to sit there. But, yes. you know, I think he's become a really great spokesperson for the whole advertising industry because, you know, he, you know, he genuinely loves ads. Yeah. So the other big TV event we've got coming up this week, uh, the AFL Grand Final, of course, on Saturday. Um, AFL has been performing really well for seven this season. Yeah, like even better for the finals than usual, I think. Yeah, they've been doing really well off it. So it will be very interesting next week Is to this see the what numbers. GWS fairy tale? Is that what's driving it, do you think? I'm not sure that's what dri- what's driving it, especially because its biggest numbers are always in Melbourne. And it seems very unlikely there are some closeted GWS fans in Melbourne. But actually, with GWS this being their first time in the final, it will be interesting to see if that affects the numbers at all. Well, I mean... My partner, who only got into the AFL this season off the back of an AFL fantasy competition, we live in Parramatta, very quickly became a GWS fan and is now obsessed and is now like, wow, I love being the underdog. Is there any way that we can like go watch? And I'm like, no. <laughs> um, so, I mean, look, I'm, I'm into the into the underdog look, GWS it's, narrative. It's interesting as well, um, some, a point. Um, Kurt Burnett made on this on the Umbrella Cast last week when he was chatting to Viv was uh, around the opportunity for for brands and for media companies for seven with AFL and I guess for nine with NRL to turn the grand final into some sort of mini Super Bowl when it comes to advertising and it you know I I know in the past when I've kind of watched on the day you you do see a few quite interesting new ads break so. I'm not sure it's completely there yet, but it does feel like some advertisers are picking that up. I believe that leads into our next, our actual next topic about Old Mate in South Australia. I think they might be doing some ad work for the final, but yeah, you, it would be it would be very interesting to see in the next few years if we start seeing brands get really 
exper- experimental with it. Um, I think that would be cool, especially, I mean, to be honest, though, it keeps pulling such great numbers. Why not? Well, let's speak next of Old Mate. sure about him being called old mate but old mate the sad old man who appeared in a campaign for south australian tourism just a few weeks ago he's returned a follow-up ad has him a lot cheerier he's he's revealed uh flanked by a couple of friends walking through the optimistically named adelaide international airport to the tune of thin lizzie's the boys are back in town uh great timing obviously um next phase uh, we'll have him visiting all the sites of adelaide with his pals now the the first ad drew a lot of controversy um but now that that sort of second part has been revealed what do we think? Does it change how we feel about the first? I'm not sure, but first we should be really careful what we say here after SBS's I was going Lucy to say that. <laughs> came out and called Adelaide, I believe it was a shithole or something like she that, did, and has been what, forced to apologise. And what angered people even more was she described it as boring. Boring, as well. did. Yeah, the boring. Old mate certainly doesn't think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, look, I must have been. I'm a big fan of Adelaide, actually. I yeah. am actually going there for the long weekend, so I definitely can't be saying anything I could get attacked in an airport um no well which are you going to one of the vineyards i'm sure i will be i'm sure i will be not just one i would imagine (laughs) not much planning ahead if you haven't decided yet i don't i don't plan much ahead as as fans this podcast will see um it's interesting i don't know whether it has changed the first ad i can remember when that first ad came around and i first saw it on tv and i was like what the hell is this? And then when I saw it a couple more times, I was like, I don't really understand what's happening. Like it wasn't even clear what it was an ad for. If you didn't sit there and diligently watch the whole way through a 30 second ad, it was very difficult to kind of get the story. And now with it, honestly, the second one is so distanced from the creation of the first one that I can't even connect them other than the fact there's the same man in them. Uh, I firstly, the second one's so short and just over before you know it. And if you don't get the first, if you haven't watched the first one and you don't get why it's a pivot, it feels, as Hannah said, disconnected. But then also, I don't know, like genuine question if either of you do, if this was genuinely a pre-planned second iteration of this broader, more drawn out campaign, or is it just, holy shit, this hasn't gone well people love old mate and don't like how we've treated him. <laughs> we better get him some friends because that's kind of what it feels like. And now they're like, no, this is just part of a, a bigger story. Well, was it? I felt like the first story was pretty self-explanatory and this is kind of trying to wind it back. Yeah, look, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I think on the on the wider point, I think I at least partly dis- disagree with both of you on, the, on what the first ad achieved because it felt to me like at least in part it was about people are going to like people are not going to like this but we don't care we're going to create a lot of talk and conversation this is about the pr value that's derived and it drove quite a lot of conversations about south australia and what it reminded me of was a bit of the the risk that heart foundation took with their heartless words campaign where I don't think they, and again, this could be the same thing, actually. I don't think they calculated just how much of a backlash there'd be. I know they didn't, but 
they knew there would be a backlash. I'd, it'd be quite interesting to get Brent Hill from SATC and Chris Taylor from Heart Foundation, <laughs> one or two more people on a panel at some point, just to talk about that, that thing when you do go fishing for, I'm not sure whether, whether it's lazy to use the word controversy, but fishing for reaction and earned media and PR. Um, and then how you, how you ride that bucking bronco once you're on it. Yeah, so they have said the campaign, the original campaign generated over 600 media articles and reached over 10 million Australians. I hear what you're saying and I spoke with uh, Chris at the Health and Mark- Health Marketing Summit. Um, he was on a panel I was moderating. I get that argument if you're talking about heart health and if you're saying okay we're not having these conversations at all we need to be having them doesn't matter if they're good or bad we just need to be talking about it i don't get those comments that if it comes to tourism because surely if you're watching this ad and you're having a negative reaction to it you're not then like i'm gonna go to adelaide well you had a negative reaction to it and now you're going to adelaide so (laughs) that's the thing well yeah you just suddenly felt the urge to go to Adelaide. You don't even know what... Look, I suppose the thing is, for me, I, th- I thought the insight was the really interesting thing. They, their insight being, people always mean to go to Adelaide and never get round to it. So to get people thinking about that point, to think that's me, maybe that's what they did. And look, hey, again, another one it reminds me of perhaps is um, the budget direct pivot away from Captain Risky to Sarge and this thing where... People kind of know they pay too much for insurance, but they never think about what a mystery it is. You know, you can see that these are big campaigns driven by by an insight. I'm not sure that's any bad thing. It kind of relates to what we were talking about with Adam Ferrier and Caitlin Lloyd, right? That, like, if this is what the industry wants, less sort of boring, dull, try-to-please-everyone marketing and stuff that is going to get a response and some people aren't going to like it, but lean into that, then this is kind of the perfect example of it. I don't know if as a young person who is probably within the bucket of people to be like, oh, yeah, I'll go to Adelaide at some point. I don't know if this would push me any closer to doing it any quicker, but it's made me talk about Adelaide, I guess, and Hannah's going, so... (laughs) And uh, you'll, you'll, you hopefully you'll become an advocate when you get back. I'm flying the flag. Um, I, if this is part, if this was all a big considered plan and if they went, okay, people are going to respond emotionally and negatively to the first one and then we're going to roll out these other ones. I do think that's pretty clever. I do think for them to then do a, okay, we're going to turn the narrative around and flip it. And if it's the other way, if it is they had that first one, it landed and they went, oh my gosh, we're going to have to fix this. They fixed it pretty quickly, which is a pretty good effort. And they didn't do it by pulling the ad and they didn't do it by apologizing. So, I mean, either way, I think they might have won off the back of this one anyway. Well, next, Hannah talks to Foxtel Media's Nev Hassan and David Roddick. I'm Hannah Blackiston, and I'm sitting here in Foxtel Media with Nev Hassan and Dave Roddick. So to start off, I'm going to get you both to tell me what your title is and what you do. And Nev, we're going to start with you. (laughs) Cool. Um, So my title is Director of Advanced Advertising um, for Foxtel Media. My role is very much around um, just looking at the current ad loads or ad formats that we run across our platform 
and trying to bring um, different ways or different ways to engage customers, but more importantly, how we can bring advertisers on that journey. Um, so across digital, TV, um, looking at the way that we engage our audiences and then creating new products to help better that advertising experience for them. Um, also referred to as where you don't know what job who should be doing the role or there's something that you want to do and you don't know who to go to you go to nev that's another way to look at it <laughs> mr uh, fix it mr fix it um but yeah no no in all seriousness um it's about the ad formats in particular um and doing things differently and how we can actually commercialize those products that aren't being commercialized at the moment and dave what about you so m- mine's a lot simpler actually i'm the chief <laughs> i'm the chief sales officer which as uh, the name suggests i am in charge of all things sales so um all uh, revenue lines, digital and TV, uh, I'm on the hook for all of that and run the sales team across the country. So I wanted to kick off with uh, very recently there was a rebrand. So previously MCN or multi-channel network, now Foxtel Media. What was the plan behind that? Uh, I th- I'll, t- I'll take that first, Never. I mean, I think um, it was more about kind of reflecting what we actually do. So it's, it's the name does what it says on the tin. Mm. Um, we've always been closely aligned with, with Foxtel. Um, but, uh, that relationship's got closer and closer. Um, and to reflect that there was a, a change of name that just makes it quite unambiguous. We are, uh, now, uh, the advertising sales arm of, uh, Foxtel media group. And, uh, so let's make sure that we are known by that sort of moniker in market. That's a nice way to say, it. I think the, the easiest way we look at that is, you go out for drinks or you're out somewhere and someone goes, what do you do for a, for a living? And you go, I work for MCN. And they're like, what's that? And we like, we represent Fox Hills, um, media assets. So I think it just simplifies the offering and just gets it straight to the point of Fox Hill media. What it also, what I will also add is it doesn't limit it to just Foxtel assets. Mm. We're very much about Fox Hill media is the brand. We're still able and we still represent third party, um, or different products and platforms outside of the Foxtel experience um so it still gives us the opportunity to go out and look at bringing new innovation or new platforms onto the to the the network and i should point out we're sitting at the moment in your offices in piermont so one of the first comments we got when we ran that story on our site was how long till they'll move in to north ride but and we i mean was there a worry that you people are just going to presume that you're now just being folded into foxtel and essentially disappear as a company and but you're very firmly still staying here i presume yeah, we're very firmly staying here. Um, actually, Foxtel is uh, is in a number of offices across uh, various campuses, uh, both you know here in Sydney and across the country. So there was no, there's no sense of oh, there is a Foxtel HQ that we're all going to suddenly be uh, sucked into. Um, but as Nev said, we we have retained a, de- a high degree of independence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does reflect our closer relationship, but. There is always going to be those adjacencies that we're going to pursue and reflect in in what we take to market. So, um, no, there's no worry or concern that we're going to be sucked into some kind of mothership. (laughs) (laughs) So recently we attended a Foxtel event at Foxtel in Oxford um, where you revealed some new ad models, including the Q-break and the M-break, which were revealed in a very... Very fantastic segment with you, Nev. Um, do you want to kind of replicate that for me now and take me through those models? Yeah. I won't replicate it because it was really awkward. Um, <laughs> Just like this. When Yes, well, hopefully this isn't as awkward. I'm smiling. Um, but no, in all seriousness, Q-break and M-break, um, there were two big projects that 
um, the team had been working on in the background. The cue break is referred to as the quick break, um, which is very much taking a digital asset in terms of a TV, uh, six-second TVC or a six-second video format and integrating it into broadcast television. So taking the power of premium, brand-safe, highly viewable content experience and bringing a digital um, format into that. And I think that's part of what Foxtel Media is about now. It's it's not replicating what we've done for the last 50 years. It's about doing something different. What we didn't do with the queue break, though, was simply just take six-second ads, put it into a two-minute 30 ad break, because it wouldn't gain cut through. It wouldn't get the execution or the engagement that it needed. So we've gone and created bespoke placements um, on the TV network where we run two six-second ads. But what we've also done, which has been really, really interesting and actually really different, was intro the spot. Mm. So we're actually letting our customers know that they're about to see a queue break. So if you're across Foxtel and you're watching Foxtel content, there's a three-second promo, quick break, queue break, letting you know it's a quick break, two six-second ads, and then back into the content. Um, shorter ad break, higher engagement, um, which we're looking to run research off the back, but then getting consumers back into that and doing something different. So, you know, um, that's the idea with the queue break. So we're not actively attacking digital platforms, but we're saying if there's efficiencies in creative executions and using them, why would you not run that on broadcast television? And that's the state, stage one of doing something different. Does that answer that question it does answer that question is uh, is the intro at the beginning to stop people running off to go to the bathroom potentially um (laughs) but i think the intro at the beginning is to to inform customers it is a different experience i think you know the the one thing we had was yes you may get up and walk out the room come back and then you're straight in the content and you'll be like what just happened Mm -hmm. like you know um so i think the idea was by letting people know that yes you are about to see a commercial break but it is a shorter commercial break. Mm. It's actually informing them and actually letting them know, not running it and then they walk out or talk to someone else and suddenly they're like, what, what, hold on, the content's back on. So I think it's a sneaky way of getting people to actually lean forward. Um, and, you know, it's nice that it's a quick break. It's mm. 12 seconds back into the content that you love. Has that already started rolling out? So we launched that as of um, Sunday across the network. Um and I think the initial market feedback has been extremely positive. Um, I think what we took on board and, you know, what me and the team worked on um, was it just shows that there's a there's a strive for innovating on TV. Um, sponsorship integration is still core. It's still a big part of it. But doing something different in that sort of format, it just showed there's huge appetites by clients and they want to test, they want to learn and we want to do something different. Um, and as I said, we are running research off the back of this. You know, we want to prove what we do is different, um, but also effective. And I think that's the key thing. We're not just creating a model for the sake of creating a, a new format for the sake of creating a new format. It's we want to prove it works for advertisers and clients. So that's a big part of it. But I will say one big thing, the Q-break does not replace the standard 30 and 15. You still need to tell stories and storytelling via creative is still a big part of what we do. Our recommendation is 80% of your buy still should go into the 15 and 30. But think about how you can now bring a a six second format to life in a really bespoke, tailored, targeted environment. So that's the way that we're looking at the the product. When you take stuff like that to market, when you meet with brands and you say, okay, we've come up with this new thing. This is what's going to happen. How receptive are they generally? How much pushback do you get and how much of it is an education piece? 
they're, they're actually generally very receptive, um, very interested in why uh, and how can I use this to... It, it, it stimulates a lot of thought around how can I use this to, to try and amplify my existing work. Um, so the innovation for its own sake, I think, is, is doesn't gain a lot of traction. But when, when we start to drill into the, okay, this is how... To, to Nev's point, you can take a 15 and 30 second creative work and you can make that work a lot harder by introducing six second formats uh, to back it up. Then that starts to peaks of interest. Um, and there's, I think at the moment, ne- you know, Nev's absolutely right. A lot of clients are really interested in how do I take uh, what has been a format that's been around for a very, very long time, 15, 30 second commercials running in long ad breaks before content or in the middle of content. How do I take that and actually make it work a lot harder and reinvent it for, a, for an age when people are consuming content differently and viewing uh, their screen entertainment in a completely different way? Uh, so, yeah, it's generally very well received. No, you know, it's not without its, its questions and interrogation. And, <laughs> you know, we, we welcome our agency partners interrogating the death out of it. <laughs> But yeah, generally very well received. Um, also, another one of the announcements that was made at the Foxtel event was an agreement with Samsung. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So um, the Samsung one's um, something that we're really, really excited about um, and something that we're really proud of as well. Samsung is a brand market leader in terms of TVs um, and the connected TV experience. What Samsung um, and Foxtel Media have partnered with is the... Um, Samsung launcher so um, if you have a Samsung TV the launcher comes up um, has a range of content from Netflix etc on the tile one of the tiles is a tile that can be activated for um, and I'll I'll call it advertising but it's not really um, advertising it's about content discovery Mm -hmm. so if you think of the brands what they've got is a tile that allows us to surface content or allow consumers to discover more content or content experiences on that connected TV. Um, and it's something that um, if you think of um, the Netflix as an example, anyone that's an SVOD provider or a broadcaster in that respect wants to promote content to consumers. It's all about, you know, I think people have multiple apps downloaded, but now it's about content discovery. And from a Foxtel perspective, if we took Foxtel and KO as an example, what a great way to actually promote content to consumers when they're in their most engaged state, when they're in that discovery state. So the idea being is we can range anything from trailer plays. So if you have a new movie coming out, promote the fact that there's a new movie. It needs to sit within that entertainment experience. Mm. I think that's the key thing. We're not about um, putting multiple different types of um, advertising categories live it needs to sit and feel like it's a seamless discovery of content um, but we can do that from a trailer in terms of promoting people to walk into the cinema or promoting something that's on now and people can literally engage with that tile watch a sneak peek of that content but instantly then be directed into that app to watch that content experience so i think when you think of where we're going as a business they're it's a perfect partnership, you know. We look at it from a TV landscape with um, Foxtel Media and Foxtel. Samsung then brings you that other side of it in terms of that connected TV landscape. And it's all about content promotion. I think key thing is about the customer, putting the customer first, doing something a bit different, but allowing them to discover content or engage with the content we create. We hear, especially now, I think there's a real focus at the moment for businesses, especially media businesses, to start putting the customer first. And I think especially in some traditional media aspects, 
maybe that wasn't always the case. I know newspapers talk about it a lot at the moment about um, they're kind of really focusing on the consumer now. For Foxtel, there's a really interesting concept where you've got a platform that people are already paying for, but you obviously that doesn't fulfill the entire commercial side of it. There also does need to be an ad intake on it. How do you strike the right balance there? How do you kind of find the magic recipe between overloading people when they're already paying for something and, you know, fulfilling what needs to be fulfilled? It's a really good point. Um, and it's it's actually at the, at the sort of heart of the philosophy of the business is, is how do we... Um, how do we keep the the experience positive for the end consumer who's, who's viewing uh, both the content and the advertising on the on the platform? Make sure that feels like a positive experience uh, rather than uh, an interruption or an, or an intrusion in your viewing experience. Um, so it does kind of drive a lot of the innovation that Nev does, for example, is, is really around that. How do we make sure that the ad experience is elevated and makes and makes it less intrusive and more relevant to the uh, to the consumer because what we don't want is a subscriber base complaining and feeling that they are uh, that they are subjected to an intrusive ad load or formats that don't make sense for them uh, or something which interrupts their content so uh, it does keep us on our toes it keeps us constantly innovating keep, it keeps us moving forward and of course you have to make sure if you're going to have a limited ad load you're going to have a much more uh, let more much less intrusive um uh, ad experience, much more positive ad experience for the end subscriber and consumer, then you, you have to make sure that that is going to deliver in spades for the advertiser because uh, you're going to have to make those those commercial dollars work really, really hard. So it does, again, it focuses, work, the focus on the consumer means that we're also focused on the advertiser outcomes too. If they're, if they're not lined up, then something's gone wrong. So it, it, it does keep you very sharp, keeps you on your toes, getting that balance right is a, an absolutely at the heart of everything that, that we think about and do. Uh, and it's why we have somebody like Nev in the business because you know he's got to keep keep us innovating to keep us moving forward on that journey. And I think that's the it's a great point from being pure sales in purely running um, purely lo- looking at digital revenue and driving more revenue. And you know when we were part of MCN as the old and what was attached to that as an asset base, it was ad load wasn't something we, I ever thought about or us as a business ever thought about. But when now Foxtel Media and being part of Foxtel, it is very much different. Mm. Um, for me to sit there and go, the customer comes first. It's not about just putting more ads in. That was why half the innovation that we put forward at the event. So removing mid-rolls from our content. It feels that's a no-brainer. That was a no-brainer. But it, 12 months ago, would we have thought of that? No. Um, because we, you know, it was about rev- driving revenue outcome. So removing mid-rolls was a big part. But at the same point, we still need to look at ad revenue and keep that fine balance. So, you know, looking at potentially two pre-rolls, but two pre-rolls that run no more than 30 seconds of content. So, you know, again, creating shorter ad breaks, shorter ad loads, launching targeted VOD, taking that rich subscriber base of data that we've got and making ads more relevant. You know, there is that myth that no one cares about advertising, but at least if you make the ad a bit more relevant to the consumer that you're talking to, it does get a better cut through. So, you know, we'll start promoting the fact we'll never interrupt content on on the VOD angle. You know, we'll we'll remove mid-rolls, no interruption. Q-Break was born from create shorter ad loads. And the idea with the Q-Break is we are going to start cutting back the commercial ad load in standard breaks because when we've created a new format that engages – you have to. You can't just add more ads in. You've got to cut that back, and that's the idea that we've got with the Q break. 
Um, and we didn't talk about it, but the end break is that perfect example. Two 30-second ads, one-minute break. You can tell our naming conventions are really <laughs> creative. Um, but again, it's about shortening the, the experience, getting greater cut through. And to David's point, providing value back to the advertiser because we've got to prove it. Um, mm. And that's the challenge we've all got. It's all on David's shoulders, though, um, in a nice way, from the advertising revenue side. <laughs> but we're in it together and I think it's the more we want to do things differently and I think the market wants to do things differently we just got to have proof points yeah it's interesting one of the things um talking about doing things differently um at well it was mentioned at the last Foxhole event but it was announced before that an integration with Netflix um it was quite interesting when we went to the most recent Foxtel event, we had obviously been to the one prior. And so when that was announced, we were like, Oh yeah, okay. We've seen this. And we're also very jaded journalists. Um, but when we were waiting around afterwards, the people, we could hear people talking about it and we could hear media buyers being like, Oh my God, did you see that? They've got Netflix up there. And like, who do you know? Could you ever imagine? Um, it was, it's interesting because. Whether right or wrong, a lot of the conversation around, you know, where is Foxtel's future is streaming platforms are going to cannibalize Foxtel. What does that connection with Netflix mean for that story? Is it just, you know, does the fact that you're integrating on the same platform mean that that story isn't accurate? Or is this just, will you just like, look, this is the way forward from here? I think that um, what it means is that the Foxtel is taking the next step in the in the evolution of this this uh, positioning as the aggregator for content. So, you know, we've we've always taken content from you know, great producers all around the world, and we've uh, created uh, a way of consuming that for the Australian public. Uh, we're doing that and extending that now by with an aggregation service that encompasses Netflix, and there'll be more on-demand platforms that will that will run onto the service as we go. Uh, so, it's the single place to to find you know, the best of TV and on-demand all in one place, uh, to use a, a well-worn phrase. <laughs> um, so it, it kind of fits with that. I think what's really interesting about it, from my point of view, is that you know, I, I grew up in, uh, in the newspaper world um, when online was kind of uh, just getting started and was starting to take uh, a lot of, uh, of readership away from, the, uh, from newspapers. And there was a tendency to pretend that wasn't happening. Um, and let's just, you know, hope it goes away, close our eyes, because this is a threat to our uh, to our existence. In actual fact, we would be much better served in that industry had we run towards that and embraced it and said, this is a, a trend that isn't going to go away, so let's work out how we coexist. And that's exactly what's happening here. And I'm really, one of the reasons that I'm so enthusiastic to be part of Foxtel is that that is the philosophy here. This is what's happening. Let's get involved. Let's see how we work together in a single ecosystem because it is constantly changing and evolving. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a very positive step, I think, from the business to, to embrace Netflix. And I think it's the first step on a, on a whole new chapter for us. And another one of the interesting ones is KO, um, which is Foxtel's sports streaming platform. It's been quite successful in its early launch. It built up subscribers very quickly. Um, but I have definitely heard people say, how is it not cannibalizing on Foxtel's own sports audience? But I'm kind of curious as to whether the people who subscribe to KO are actually are Foxtel subscribers, would never be a Foxtel subscriber. Like, what's the agreement there? And also from a commercial point of view, how does that work for you when you are approaching brands? Well, um, I'll tell you that first part. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of the, the, the audience, um, it's, 
First of all, it's really amazing how the general public has no connection, so sees no connection between Foxtel and KO. Mm. Um, and there is clearly a, a whole uh, section of the population for whom the, Fox, the core Foxtel proposition, the main subscription platform, is, is not, they're not going to be in the market for that. But they still, there are sections of the content that they still want to consume, they want to consume regularly. So KO serves that marketplace, it serves it really well. As you say, really good uptake to, to start with, and we're seeing very, very small amounts of candidalization. So uh, the vast majority uh, of KO subscribers have not and never would subscribe to Foxtel. Um, and we're also seeing a completely different way of people dipping in and out of that platform. So Foxtel, People tend to sign up, sign up for, keep the subscription for a period of years, whereas KO is, is dipping in and out according to short bursts of sports content that you want to consume. So it might be signing up for the Cricket World Cup, uh, being holding that subscription for the duration of the event, um, and then dropping out, and maybe you'll wait until the summer. If you're a cricket fan, you come back for the test series. Uh, and similarly, we've seen a spike uh, this, this last week uh, on the basis of the Rugby World Cup. Uh, so you'll see a whole tranche of rugby fans that will sign up to get access to every game live in 4 KHD and then um, you know and then they'll drop out uh, and they'll go and find and then they'll wait until the next uh, event comes around that they want to subscribe for so it's a very different viewing habit as well as a different audience in terms of the what care reaches you want to talk about the commercialization yeah, happy to talk about the commercialization um, <laughs> so I think the the, um, the commercialization strategy has been look in its really simple term it's live sport broadcasted through um, the multiple range of apps that KO now runs across. We've literally looked at trying to keep that consumer experience seamless. So we have launched dynamic ad insertion um, across the live stream. Um, so remember, KO is everything that streamed via KO is delivered via the Foxel broadcast signal. So when we first launched... We saw huge numbers, but we weren't monetizing any of that content because um, it was about getting the consumer experience right. What we've now done with KO is we're now taking the ad breaks out, dynamically inserting digital ads um, to then make sure that we can help commercialize or monetize that product. Um, but we're making sure it's done in exactly the same way that you view broadcast. We're not putting any additional um ads in there we're not putting any new overlays or anything else that's intrusive it's still to the heart of what ko is it's live uninterrupted sport but pre mid and post game that's where we'll look at commercializing it we'll then look at overlaying data so again trying to make the ads a bit more relevant more targeted and that's how we sort of opened it up but we've been fair to ko we haven't just turned on everyone and dynamically inserted everything because the funniest thing is we've we we are looking at the, the 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 user feedback and it's all about if the app slows down that's not a good that's not a good customer experience and that's why we're not doing it we're literally testing and making sure that if we are going to insert ads the customer experience has not been jeopardized and if it does slow the app down then you know what we'll pull back the number of um, users and we've done it smartly we only launched with 20% of the user base and it's a rolling 20% it's not the same people but i think that's a really nice way to test and learn to make sure that the experience is right there's no user feedback and from an advertised perspective the ads are delivering in the right way um and that's how we've commercialized that product the other great story is ah oh, when you've got content and branded content stories that you want to bring ko is an opportunity for us to talk to customers and clients more clients around what what 
content stories can we create that could sit within KO? Yes, it's live sport, but you know, there could be integration that we do with some partners around creating branded content that's really engaging for a sports audience and actually giving it a platform to sit with premium sports environments. So I think that's another way that we can look at creating commercial opportunities beyond just putting um, a pre-roll and a mid-roll. And that's not necessarily right in that environment. So that's not what we've looked to do on KO. I have wanted to do that, but I'm not allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to head towards wrap up now, but I, it's interesting. I think there's always somebody in the industry who people kind of uh, pass off as the underdog. At the moment, if we look at free to wear, it's 10. Um, every time we write a story about 10, yeah. the comments we get are just vicious. Um, but when you, talk to people and when you talk to 10 themselves they say it's not reflective of the commercial conversations yeah. they're having is mm. that the same for you guys because i know a lot of the stories that get written about you quite often are quite negative is that when you actually go and have these commercial conversations are you seeing something completely different to what we're seeing yeah um i think there's a tendency to to uh to think about the the the, the media and media journalism in, in something of a bubble mm. um there is a and, and there's a there's a we've we've had a debate about this, haven't we, as a, as an industry for some time now? But there is a group, a small group, I would think, of highly motivated people who want to uh, to comment on virtually every story about everything, and very few of those comments are positive. <laughs> um, when you go out and market and talk, generally speaking, uh, the sentiment is extremely warm and positive. Uh, and look, I can't speak for, um, for what things were like in previous, uh, iterations of the business, but certainly the sense of changing to become Foxtel media and w getting closer to Foxtel has been met with a lot of positivity in the, in the marketplace. People, uh, are are clear about what that means and welcome it because there's a lot going on at Foxtel people want to be closer to. So we're a good gateway for that. Um, and I think, um, sometimes we, you know, we can get very focused on things that are not necessarily on the minds of either the, the, the investor market, the media, the advertising buying market, um, or the consumer. I mean, um, you know, we're getting a lot of, uh, there was a, there was a, a, a company wide, uh, meeting, uh, earlier this week. And in that we were, we were talking about. The, the positive sentiment from all the subscribers around the new user interface, the new way of, of the Foxtel experience, new way of finding content on Foxtel and how that's going down with really, really positively with new, um, an uplift in, in net promoter score amongst those subscribers who've got that experience. So there is a lot of, you know, um, good news and positivity around Foxtel. We're not without our challenges. Everyone has got challenges at the moment. You know, the media is moving faster than it ever has and will only get faster. Everyone is facing challenges. Everyone facing existential threats. You know, you talked earlier about competition. Everyone is a competitor. And at the same time, everyone's also an ally. So there's a, there are a lot of challenges, but that's the case with every other medium. And as I say, I, I think there's nothing but positivity that I've encountered in the marketplace for us. Yeah. And I think the fact that, yeah, to that point, we are launching new products and doing things differently and agencies, clients, they want to be part of that journey. They want to actually come on board and, you know, the, you know, is the two minute 30 ad break forever the right way to communicate? Yes, it is to a degree, but it should evolve. And I think people really want to be on that journey and everyone is back in, you know, the conversations we've had and, and Q-Break was one example, but you know, the way that the agency were like, we want to jump on board, we want to be part of it. Um, 
I love it. I love the underdog because it is, you know, what it does, it challenges us to think differently. And I think that's what half the innovation that we've come up with is because we've sat there and gone, can't keep doing this. Mm. We've got to do something different. So let's do something different. And even when we said we were taking mid rolls and reducing ad loads and all that, the comments were still negative. It's like, (laughs) you're like, well, you know, how do we, how do we solve for this? We can't. And you've just got to accept it. And I think to David's point, people in media a little bit more judgment or a little bit more pointy with their comments. Um, and we're hoping at the end of the day, it's the customer. If mm. the customer has a better experience, let media say what they want to say about us. But if the customer's happy, we create better formats, better ways to engage, and we're going to get better advertised and customers will get better outcomes. That's all that matters. And I think that's the big thing. Love the underdog. You know what makes us a challenger, makes us more hungry, makes us want to fight a bit harder. And I think that's what we are in terms of Foxtel Media. So I'm going to end with a couple of quick fires. From a content perspective, what are you most excited about in the next six months? What should we be watching on Foxtel? Put you on the spot. <laughs> uh, I'm most excited about Watchmen. Oh, you just... <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew thunder, I should have gone in first. <laughs> <laughs> um, which looks awesome. And look everybody who has uh, who's seen it over on the Foxtel, because we... We haven't. I don't know about you, Nev, but I haven't seen it yet. No. But uh, everyone who's who's had sort of previews over at Fox, amazed by it, and like really excited about that. So um, yeah, that I guess is my uh, and and also was watching England win the World Cup, um, which, which will happen <laughs> in the next four or five weeks. Um, I'm loving Righteous Gemstones. Um, yeah, it's it's awesome. so good. It's um, like. Um, that's one at the moment. It's a showcase. I think if you look at Fox Showcase and some of the productions coming out, there's just so many. But that's what I'm loving at the moment. Watchmen, I can't wait for. It's it sounds like that Game, of, Th- Game of Thrones prequel. I was going to allude to that. I don't know if we like it, but the Game of Thrones prequel. Why are you? Friend? I know I'm making a face. <laughs> <laughs> My views on Game of Thrones have been spoken about very loudly on this podcast. I don't know if anyone wants a prequel now, but it's fine. <laughs> The funny thing is, um, I love Game of Thrones and I will definitely engage in a prequel. Making sure it works and the content's amazing and connects with the audiences, I think that's the key thing. Um, but I have a feeling that anything Game of Thrones related, if it keeps the story going, um, maybe especially the way it ended. Um, Sorry, are you saying the ending was good? Is that what you're saying? No, right, right, great. I'm just clarifying for the record. No, so I think that gives a thirst for... I want more. Come yeah. on, it cannot it cannot end that way. Yeah, so I think fair. that story will be amazing. And look, the sports season's always going to be a big thing. You can't forget sport. It's a, such a huge part, but you know, I think um local productions are a big part of it. For me, Great Australian Bake Off, I know that sounds really weird, but oh, I right. love British Bake Off. I love, love Aussie Bake Off. I can't wait for that. Um that will be my tuning watch moment. <laughs> <laughs> and from a business perspective, what are you most excited about for the next 6 months? Um I think uh, a lot of the innovation that we talked about at the launch event um, and that Nev's alluded to uh, today, that is going to start to, we're going to get a lot more learning and understanding about exactly how that works. That, I know that sounds really dull, but it is quite, <laughs> it is very <laughs> exciting because I think what we'll start to do is rather than to have, have a concept and an idea, we'll start to have something which actually means something in terms of delivering value. So how does it create greater it does it i mean you know we don't we don't know we've got an idea and we think it's going to work but we'll actually test it in market we'll see uh which which categories which type of advertisers uh which type of campaigns are going to benefit most we're going to have much more science behind it we're going to research it and then i think we'll have a um a robust platform moving forward but um 
yeah, learning about what works and then building on that for the next tranche of innovation, I think, is, uh, is going to be very exciting. Um, Samsung really is an exciting opportunity um, for me and the team around me. Um, and I think the team, once you see the product and what we can do with it, it's really exciting. I think the other thing that excites me is being this close to Foxtel now means we can trial and drive innovation. Q-brakes, M-brakes would never have come to fruition if we weren't close and working with them. And to David's point, everything's about test and learn. If it works, let's keep running with it. Let's prove it works. Let's prove the effectiveness. If it doesn't, we'll accept it's not right. We'll move on, but we'll try something different. And I think that's the really exciting thing is there's just, there's lots of opportunities for us. Um, and, you know, I'm really looking forward to us changing the, the conversation, just doing things differently. Okay. Nev and Dave, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. And that's all for this week. But before we go, if you're listening to this podcast shortly after we put it up, then hopefully you're still in the final hours to enter the Mumbrella Next Awards or to get a colleague to do so. The awards are to recognise anyone who's been in the industry for less than 10 years. And there are categories across events, business administration and support, commercial talent and content marketers. The next awards recognise the best of the best among those new to the industry those who are within their first 10 years still I just think that win could be a little bit of a career boost so get in now entries close midnight friday 27th of september although i will let you into a secret sometimes we do take a few hours sometimes even until the monday morning to turn off the entry engine head to umbrella.com.au forward slash next awards that is all from us for now though thank you hannah thank you thank you Brittany. thanks tim toodle pip Thank you.